You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is uh, welcome. Nope. Welcome back to the gastroenteritis blues. Uh, I'm Steve Lippman. I'm with Dan Volpone, Emily Anderson. And for the first time in the history of the podcast, we're starting an episode with the guest. Uh, Andrew Unterberger is here with us. Andrew, first of all, thank you so much for being with us. We're recording this after Sunday night's game. So it's good to see that you are uh, in good enough spirits to join us. So thank you very much. Uh, n- never felt better. Absolutely. That's yeah. having me on. Yeah. It's been a great day of Philly sports. Uh, the Eagles got sort of blown out by the Cowboys, and then the Sixers got super blown out by the um, Cavs. Uh, I think the most sensible place to start is that in two hours, it's Emily's birthday, and I think we should all really celebrate that. And if you're on Twitter, tweet at third and girl. I'd like you to explain the uh, username, AU, as somebody with an interesting uh, Twitter username. I think you guys could bond. I'd like everybody to shower Emily with birthday love today. Emily, do you have big plans for your birthday? Um, I mean, if you want to call them big, so I'm going to walk to DeBruno Brothers, and then I'm going to Peloton, and then we're ordering Cheesecake Factory, and we're going to watch Soul, and I'm going to drink a bottle of champagne. I love it. That Very sounds nice. like a great way to spend your birthday. Enter my 30s like that. It'll be great. <laughs> it's going to be Best great. Disgusting. Soul's supposed to be wonderful. People are talking about I heard soul. I want like a good cry on my 30th birthday, so it'll be good. And, and if tonight wasn't good enough for you, then I think you can round it out. Uh, round it out tomorrow. So, I, you know, listen, we have the rundown of shit to talk about. Uh, the Sixers had their first week of games. They had uh, three games. They played Washington, the Knicks, and then tonight Cleveland. I figure the most sensible way to go about it is to talk about them all. Uh, I'd like to get some overall takes on how the Sixers look three games into the season. Um, and then we can, we can get into more granular stuff in terms of each game. But AU, does anything stick out to you about the team as juxtaposed with last year's team after these first three games? I think the thing that stands out is that there really isn't a ton that does stand out. I think uh, this, this, I mean, it's not the same team, but it certainly feels very similar. Uh, you know, a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses, a lot of the same sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the things that infuriated us watching them last year, the things that are going to infuriate us watching them this year. Uh, they still fall apart without uh, Joel and to a lesser extent, Ben. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it doesn't seem like the, the added shooting has really alleviated that much in terms of their half court offense. Uh, it's the Sixers. I mean, and, and tonight was a, was a very good crash course in that, especially the Sixers on the road. They, they are uh, who, they, they, who they have always been, it seems like. Uh, 
Now, obviously, there's you know there's adjustments to be made. There's uh, you know there's uh, familiarity to to be bred, and and another other sort of uh, you know caveats you can sort of add on there to say well, why they aren't playing necessarily the way we hoped that they might be. But I think this is the team, and and I, I think they're a good team. I think they they have a chance to be a very good team. Uh, but this this is what they are uh, until uh, until something you know major comes along to to shake that up. Dan, what about you? What has stood out to you over these three games? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that, I mean, a lot of it feels very similar to last year in terms of, and I don't think that's really surprising. I know people expected big changes. There's a new coach. uh, There's new, you know, I guess somewhat peripheral pieces on the team, but they're going to go through their their two best players. And in a lot of ways to bias, because he's paid so much, he's going to get a lot of minutes and he's going to get a lot of shots. So if you're, three main guys are going to be exactly the same. I I think that one way they might be a little bit better than last year is that we see games like the Knicks, like, of course it was the Knicks, but when they're hitting their shots, they can look really good and they could last year, but they might hit their shots more often. They have more guys who can, you know, continue to make shots at a higher volume. Uh, I think like the Bucks game was kind of an anomaly last year, whereas like they took a lot and made a lot, whereas for the most part, they just didn't take a lot. Yeah. On Christmas. Exactly. Um, And I think we might, you know, see more games like that this year and that would be fun. But for the most part, I don't think shooting was their main problem last year. I think it was, you know, perimeter creation, um, you know, someone who can really get to the basket and not just guys who are going to make shots. Uh, And, you know, that has been evident all along. I think it's so much more evident without Joel because you can't rely on dumping into the post when you can't get to the basket from, from the perimeter in the half court. And we saw that a lot tonight, which is why tonight felt so much like last year. Yeah. Emily, what, what about you? Yeah, I agree with what everyone said, but one thing I do think is that Joel has looked really good in the first two games. Um, like that first game, he played like seven minutes, like in the first quarter, like the longest he's played his, his conditioning looks good. Like he looks like lighter on his feet. Maybe he looks like he's having more fun. So I want to put a slightly happier spin on all of our collective doom and gloom after that game and say that Joe looks really good this year. So I'm happy about that. Totally agree. Yep. He, yeah, he definitely does look really good. And, and uh, he seems like as good as he's looked, at least physically and, and, and energy-wise in a long time. Um, the Washington game, they definitely could have lost that game. And I feel like some version of last year's team probably does. They were down double digits in the third quarter. They had a really bad third quarter. And then Embiid and Shooter's lineup really took over and, and Joel dominated the game and they won that game. Um, yeah, the Knicks. And I mean, they, go ahead. There's a play in the fourth quarter of that game, sort of what Emily was talking about, where like it was, it was like a minute and change left, and Embiid got the ball in the post, and rather than kind of doing his normal like plotting, like back the guy down, like dribble, 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 he just like immediately cut to the basket with the ball. And I was like, I, I don't remember the last time we saw him do that, especially that late in the game in such a clutch situation. So that is, in, in a way, that's more encouraging to me than anything with the sort of supporting cast that like, and if Embiid can kind of dominate late and often like that, like that's the most important thing with this team still, I think. So, yeah, I probably should mention that from the top. So, good catching on that. Totally agree. And, um, I mean, Embiid's great, and when he plays, they're going to be very good. You know, like, I have, you know, obviously tonight sucked. Embiid didn't play. I actually don't – you guys can tell me what you think. I don't think this was a planned rest day. Like, he traveled to Cleveland. It feels to me like if if they were just going to load manage him, he just would have stuck on the, you know, in Philly after after New York. 
Uh, I, I, yeah, Doc my, said he planned to play after the game, yeah. and I, I believe it for the reasons you said that he, you know, he traveled and, and there's, I don't know, it's, it's the, like, it's the fucking Cavs. There's no reason to hide that he wasn't going to play. Who cares? Right, right. I mean, I would hope that they don't feel like they have to lie if they want to rest Joel. I, I think they should feel empowered to do that without like. What wasn't Doc kind of cagey about it when he was asked uh, at the end of the last game of whether or not Joel yeah. would play in the back-to-back? So I, I, I wasn't shocked to see this. And right. I, I, I don't know. I, I usually tend to panic when anything goes wrong with Joel. So the fact that I'm not panicking over this, I think is probably a good sign. Right. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see, I guess, Tuesday in Toronto. If he's out for that one, then, then yeah, we, we, can, we can hit the panic button on that. After the Knicks game, Doc said something like, you'll, you'll see when you'll see. And it was like, <laughs> all right, then. Very coy, Doc, yeah. <laughs> Got very, it, man. Very sneaky. <laughs> Um, all right, so I want to hear from each of you, I, after these three games, uh, a Sixer that has surprised you in a good way and a Sixer who has surprised you in a negative way. Um, AU, why don't you start? Is there, give me one for both. Uh, surprised me in a good way. I mean, I guess, we already, I guess Joe, I wouldn't necessarily say surprising, but uh, surprised me in a good way. I'll go with Seth Curry. Uh, the shot has, you know, it's, it's been there sometimes and hasn't been there others. Uh, he, he's hit a couple bailout threes that have been really nice because we, we don't really have bailout three guys, or at least we haven't since, since JJ has been here. Right. Uh, but he hasn't really looked like lights out from beyond or anything, but he still finds ways to contribute more than I expected to. He, he has like a pretty good kind of halfway uh, like mi- uh, mid-range floater that I, I didn't know that he had. Uh, he's been capable on defense. Yeah, like I, there haven't been too many times where he's just kind of looked out of his depth. Uh, and you know, he, he moves the ball pretty well. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say like he's blown me away or anything, but I, I think, you know, going in, it looked like he, just from the couple of preseason games, it looked like he might be one of those players, like when the shot's not falling, it's just like, what are you been doing here, man? Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's much of my surprise. That's actually been more of the story with Danny Green so far, who's, uh-huh. who's has looked surprisingly overmatched on defense in a couple of assignments and just makes a perplexing decision sometimes. Seth Curry has been pretty smooth, I think, uh, so that I, 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 yeah, I guess I'll, I'll say Danny Green for the other way. Uh, I guess I, I wouldn't. I'm not shocked by that. Like just from the the kind of you know the, the sort of anecdotal Twitter experience of following Lakers fans that uh, rooted for Danny Green last year certainly did not seem like a very fun experience to them. So uh, I, I expected him to be infuriating a lot of the time. But yeah, it, it is the sort of thing that when his shots not falling, it looks really bad, and he doesn't contribute a ton else, especially on offense. Uh, and, and defense, you know, it, it, he makes good plays here and there, but uh, you know, he, he looked potentially dominant in the, in the preseason. I haven't really seen that through three games so far this year. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. those would be my two guys. Emily? Um, yeah, for – in a good way, I guess – I kind of saw this in the preseason, but I'll say Dwight. I think he's been just so fun off the bench and a real spark plug and also really fun on the bench, especially – with the Sixers not having fans in the arena and from everything we've seen last year, they really rely on that energy. I really think that he's bringing it on the bench and it is helpful to them in a way tonight. He really got in foul trouble with his starting minutes and wasn't able to contribute as much, but for a while there, he like hadn't missed a basket. So if he could have stayed on the court, I think he, the contribution would have been greater. Um, I was also going to say Danny green for just like disappointing when we talked about the preseason, we like really saw, like you said, like flashes and we're like, oh, like this guy is going to do something. And he's kind of been just like plodding along, kind of not really making an impact in the way that we would have hoped yet. So I'm hoping he can just like find his footing. Maybe he's still tired from playing so late into the season last year. Um, I like to make excuses for people. So I'll go with that. That's <laughs> <laughs> what we do with Sixers fans for sure. <laughs> Dan, what do you got? 
Yeah, I, you know, I was going to say Dwight, uh, just to switch it up, though, I'll, I'll go with Joel. Um, I know we talked about it already, but I think he's showing you a few things that, that he didn't do often enough last year. Like, you know, he's always been capable of everything he's done, you know, he's and has done it. You know, he's, he's incredible. But um, there were times last year where, you know, he seemed a bit out of it. Um, that has not been the case, at least early on. The offense has, has really gone through him. Um, both from a, you know, scoring perspective and from just starting the offense in general and, and to, you know, get the ball moving. Um, and I think he's also, you know, crashed the offensive glass pretty well. Like he's, he's been high energy uh, throughout. Um, for, for someone who's disappointed me, uh, I guess I've been disappointed in Furkan a bit. The shot's not falling, so that makes it easy. But um, I still thought he'd give you a little bit more. And, you know, even if the shot wasn't, wasn't falling, he'd look like someone who could um, – maybe be earning playoff minutes in the future. And, you know, he's not like a disaster on defense, but he's not good. And he's, he, he, I thought maybe on offense, he would step up in some other ways. Um, and he, he hasn't really done that yet. So it's early on. And I, I guess I didn't expect anything crazy from him, but I was hoping that with other shooters around, he would, you know, step up a little bit and he hasn't yet. Yeah. For um, kind of, for... Go ahead. The Furcon on the road has always been an adventure. Like yeah, I, 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 I looked, I looked it up because anecdotally, it always seems to me like he, he plays much better at home. Aside from the the game winner in Portland, obviously, his his like career true shooting is ten percent higher at home than it is on the road, and that feels low to me even. But uh, yeah, he, he he's been he was very good in the first game uh, and has been a complete ass in the last two. So. Hey, you've been chronicling uh, his floater, and floater. I I can't stop seeing it now. <laughs> And like yeah. you've been writing on Twitter about how bad his floater is, and they just go so hard off the rim. I mean, hit one, and I'll stop doing it. Like <laughs> this brings me no joy to be the you know the the the, uh, the archivist for Furkan's failed floater attempts. But uh, yeah, it, it is a recurring theme with this uh, season and yeah. last season, and pretty much every season since he's been here. So uh, yeah, at, at this point, yeah, I, I, I will be basically keeping tabs on every single one of them. So, but again, hit one, I'm done. <laughs> um, I wanted to uh, give a few honorable mentions for uh, like positive surprising Sixers. Shake in the first two games. I mean, tonight's a sort of burn the tape game. I don't know what you do about tonight. It was a nightmare. I, I was covering the Liberty Ballers Twitter for it. It was not fun. Um, but Shake looks at home and he, he seems like a real NBA player who's going to help them, especially given what they need. Uh, and Maxi seems like he's ready for minutes, uh, albeit not, you know, probably 30 minutes a game, but in spurts off the bench, he, he like has real NBA burst. Um, it, disappointments. Simmons for me is a disappointment just because he's really good. Like he's, he's, he remains really good. He's an insane defender. Like I love watching him play defense. He like killed RJ Barrett against the Knicks on Saturday, but I was just, hoping for some sort of development and that's not shooting threes every game, but it's like getting to the rim like crazy or, you know, because he has these sort of skills that he could leverage if given sort of a different, uh, it sounds lame to say mindset, but, but that sort of like decision to revamp the way he finishes or the way that he makes an effort to get to the free throw line, the free throws look exactly the same. So I guess I'm disappointed that, and of course, it's only three games in, and maybe he develops this. But I, I wish to have You've been seen, saying this for four yeah, years. Exactly. I wish to have seen more like sort of market improvement offensively from him out of the gate. Uh, Emily, did you did you agree with that when you watched Ben, or what do you think? 
Yeah, I do agree. I was once again fooled by the pandering ESPN article that came out this week about yeah. how Doc, you know, he was really just like fired up by Doc telling him to go to the and rim and he, that's what he wants and he's just still not listening. And I was hoping like to see with Joe out tonight, him kind of take over that game and like lead it and, you know, be the guy. And he just wasn't the guy. I don't, like you said, tonight was awful. And it kind of sucks that we're recording this after that because this is what we all have on the top of our minds and we're all kind of like doom and gloom. But yeah, I would like to see a little bit more from Ben. Yeah. Where is the, go ahead. Where is the Ben and B to pick and roll that Doc said was unstoppable in training? You're saving it. The first play of the season, the first like half court set of the season, we saw it once, and and I guess that's that we're good for the rest of the season now. That, that was it all. Stops, it was. Then it's unstoppable. <laughs> Do it once, it doesn't stop. Hundred percent effectiveness. Um, uh, AU, yeah. Do you agree when watching Ben? Yeah. Do you guys remember the uh, the game they had in Cleveland last year, the the Ben game, which was also without Joel, that like where he hit two threes and I think scored like twenty six points in the first half and and like just just totally dominated that team. Uh, yeah, I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't hoping we'd see a little bit of that tonight, and we definitely didn't. Uh, I, I I mean I think the Cleveland team is probably a little bit better than we expected, but even still, like I I did hope we would get to see a little bit more of Ben being assertive. Ben, you know taking shots. I mean, like I, it's not so much the three pointer to me as it is just the total willingness to, to pull up from any distance. Uh, if, if he, you know, took a couple steps in and kind of tried to maneuver in the half court a little bit, but the fact that it's just not even an option and defenses know at this point that it's not even an option, it really limits what this team can do offensively. And yeah. you, you saw it. I mean, there's there so many telegraph passes, especially in the first half of tonight's game and, and just, just, just situations where Sims got himself into a spot and, the, the defense knew that he wasn't going to shoot his way out of it or, or really sort of assert himself in that way. And so that they could play for the pass. They played for the pass over and over again. I think he had six turnovers. It felt like even more. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, I, I wouldn't consider it a disappointment in general just because I, I'm sort of done expecting much evolution from Ben in this regard, which is, a, you know, I guess a disappointment in itself. But uh, especially because Doc sort of let him off the hook a little bit in the offseason. I mean, not so much with the, the going to the rim stuff that you guys were mentioning, but just basically saying like, oh, what's the big deal about Ben shooting so much? You know, Magic Johnson never shot. Giannis doesn't shoot. Or, you know, it's like, okay, great. Now, <laughs> you know, if he has the excuse not to do it, there's very little chance of not doing it. And I get because why he ben did is that. Magic Johnson and Giannis. <laughs> <laughs> combined, yeah. I get why he did it because he did kind of need to like grease the wheels in that relationship in the early stages. And I think it's better that he earns his trust and maybe tries to develop it from there. But I, I was fairly sure we weren't coming into the season with Ben just hoisting out of nowhere. So the uh, the Cavs game that you're referencing from last year, if I recall correctly, was the game after which Brett Brown had his infamous <laughs> demand where he said, you tell his agent, tell his brother, his mother, her mother, who cares? I want one three a game. And Simmons was like, guess what? Simmons, says, Simmons said game on. Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, that, I mean, I don't know what to do. I mean, of course, I don't believe Doc when he says he doesn't care about Simmons shooting. And I feel like he's like, well, what am I supposed to say in the media when it's like a decision that the guy has not made? It's like, you know, he doesn't want to alienate him. And, uh, and it's, you know, what can he do? But there's so um, many things he can do. Like he, I was expecting best case scenario. He comes back, you know, from, I know it wasn't a long break, but like after, you know, kind of getting a feel for how things really went wrong last year to come back with more than three moves to finish around the rim mm -hmm. or, you know, when he's, when he's five feet away, I mean, not that you're going to shoot a jumper from there, but 
other, something other than like the the running floater and the the hook like come with something some kind of you know a, a tricky you know like a, a jump stop and like a, and a fake and an, an up and under like Joel has all these moves around the rim and it's it's not just the shot like Joel can has moves around the rim where I guess it helps that he has the threat to shoot it but he gets guys off their feet he gets guys moving all over and Ben has not like disastrous touch like when he's within five feet like the floater is okay he can make it so he should be able to work off of that to get himself you know better looks when the defense knows you know that he does the same things over and over again and he he kind of you know when when they guess one of the two things he could possibly do then he's gonna brick it and, it, and it's been the same thing it's been that for a while now it's it's you know he's a great player and he's I think he's like around 20th best player in the NBA which is not an insult but it's so frustrating to see it's not just the shot. There's other things that like other players improve these things. Other players get better in these ways and he hasn't. Yeah. Um, just to round out the disappointing Sixers section, uh, Tobias Harris, I, you know, lovely guy. I think that this is, I don't everybody. think we need to preface with that I anymore. Think, Everyone no, knows. We do. No, we in do. Case he listens. No, we do. In case he <laughs> listens, maybe he'd be like, he didn't mention what a sweet. It's, it's, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, I, uh, Dan, Dan texted me, uh, earlier today about how our first podcast episode was like me. This was during the shutdown. It was me like caping for Tobias and I wrote and like, and I, yeah. And I wrote multiple like thousand word pieces on Liberty Ballers being like, I don't care about the contract. What a nice guy. Uh, and it's just like what happens when there isn't basketball games. Um, he looks terrible. He, he just looks terrible. I mean, he scored better tonight. Um, but he still did the thing where he pump fakes an open three into a like two dribble two. His defense looks horrendous to me. I don't know if this is read the same way to you guys, but it feels like his man is always open for a three. And Julius Randle really brutalized them in the first half the other night against the Knicks. And uh, tonight he was guarding Kevin Love for a little bit or, or Larry Nance, any of them. It just, it, it's very sort of dispiriting that, you know, part of the, one of the storylines was, well, you know, Tobias is back with Doc, and uh, when he was with Doc, he was pretty good. Uh, and he we just need to point of... out. We need to point out also on this note the play where he had the ball in the corner, and he took a full second to swing it to Danny Green. Yeah, like a full, literally a full second to the point where Danny Green's man was able to close out instead of an open Danny Green three. The clock was running down. Danny Green had to dribble, which of course was a turnover. Ended up being a charge, and that's on Tobias. Danny Green is what he is. We know Danny Green can't dribble. Tobias, all he needs to do is immediately swing the ball, and he had to think about it for a full second before he could do it. It's horrible. This was uh, this was against the Knicks when uh, Joel was trying to post up or face up, and Tobias's man just stayed with Joel. So it was just two guys guarding him the whole possession, and Joel made the right pass into the corner with Tobias, and yeah, he took too long. So I don't think he's this bad every single night. Like I do think he's played worse in these three games and two preseason games than he actually is, but he's still obviously so far away from the value of his contract. And it's just, it's really, it's hard to watch because it's, it's, you know, it's really tough. Emily, uh, watching Tobias, are you having fun? So much fun. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just, it's so hard. Cause I, like we've said, he's a nice man. He likes books. I like books. You know, we've a lot in common. Um, and, like, this contract is so bad. It's, like, a sunk cost. Like, who's taking this contract off our hands for Tobias? Like, at a certain point, I feel like I should just, like, try and talk myself into it. But he continues to do these things on the court that are, like, don't 
you can't even try. I don't know what to do. I need help. I don't know. <laughs> I'm lost. I don't. Hey, you, where are you at with Tobias? Well, uh, I, I, I will say that I thought he was a little bit better tonight. Uh, there mm-hmm. were some kind of quick, quick pull uh, threes there that, and he, he actually hit a couple, which is sort of new for him at this point. Uh, and the, the, the general decision making was a little bit quicker, at least on the offensive end. Uh, but I mean, my, my whole thing at this point uh, is, he, I think he'd be better suited for this team coming off the bench, which I know is a difficult sell for any number of reasons. Uh, most notably being the the, the uh, exorbitant contract that we can't talk about Tobias without mentioning, and the fact that we're still trying to move him, in which case bringing him off the bench is not the best for optics. Uh, but in terms of surrounding Simmons and Embiid with guys that actually like shooting the ball and don't hesitate to do it, can make quick decisions, and can put the ball on the floor uh, a, a little bit more gracefully, uh, it's, it seems like he's gumming up the starting lineup that's already pretty gummy to begin with. Uh, and him on the second unit would potentially be pretty kind of damaging to, to opposing benches. I think like, and he, who would you could, elevate? Who would you elevate? I would elevate shake, which I, I, I have this, this argument with, with, uh, with spike a lot. He wants to elevate shake over Seth Curry. I think that's sort of a lateral move. I think the idea is, I mean, and spike's point is that you, you want shakes ball handling in there. Uh, and, and you don't, you can't get rid of Tobias for, for contract reasons. And because uh, you don't want Ben guarding opposing fours, but there really aren't that many traditional fours left in the league. It's mostly lineups like the Celtics where you're basically just guarding the tallest wing, which Ben would be doing anyway. So I, I, I think, I mean, it's not a cure all. And obviously we, we saw some of the, uh, the downside with shake today when he's kind of overtaxed and put in a role of greater responsibility. Uh, a lot of a lot of like uh, illusions being shattered today between Shake and and Maxi and, and even Dwight who uh, I, I said is like you, you like him as a as a uh, as like a, a backup for Embiid you don't like him as like a fill in for Embiid when when he has to play Embiid yeah. minutes bad things happen but I, I think Shake in the line in the starting lineup you move Tobias back to the backup four you take Mike Scott out of the rotation you put in Matisse in those minutes I think you have two pretty good units in that case uh, what, what do you guys think about that. Yeah, I, I, I'm into that. I was actually kind of into that even, you know, bef- before the season, because I think that, be- you know, the Sixers need spacing, obviously, especially around Joel. That was the whole thing last year. And I think, you know, it's easy to point at Ben, and it was easy to point at Horford. And, but be- obviously, you have to start Ben. And, you know, Horford's gone, but it's the, it's the same thing where it's not just the ability to shoot the space in the floor. It's the fact that the decision-making is too slow and it's not just ability to shoot, but willingness to shoot. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Like, quick, quicker swings of the ball. If Ben isn't going to drive to the basket, you have to have some way to move the defense. You have to move the defense to get open threes, to get, you know, good looks into Joel. You have to have guys, you know, trying to rotate when they, you know, are trying to recover. And, and Ben does not give you that from the perimeter. That's why I think the Sixers so badly need a perimeter scorer. Tobias doesn't give you it anyway. And I think he, like you said, he clogs it up more. I mean, I'm into it. I, I know the optics are bad, but I don't think they're going to be able to trade him anyway. So yeah, yeah bring him off the bench. Why not? He's Emily, making the same amount whether he starts to come off the bench. unfortunately. Sure. So. Emily, would you make that switch? Yeah, I actually like that. I just think not to drudge up like front office stuff, but to have the Sixers have given out these like two giant contracts in the past two years. And the best way that they fit the team is to have those people come off the bench with like it's not great. coming off the bench last season. And now we're like, we can fix this just with Tobias on the bench. Like what? And like most uh, of those people have their jobs still. So it's fine. Everything is fine. Wow. Uh, 
it, it's not wonderful. And, and I should also say that like, this doesn't work against every lineup. Like, you can't necessarily have like against, you know, uh, like the Raptors of, of, of 2019 or against like the Lakers of last year. Like you, you can't necessarily play Ben and Tobias, Ben and uh, Joel starting lineup for that. Cause especially if you also have to guard LeBron as, as a, as a small forward, it's like there are, there are matchups where you probably have to go with Tobias or, or some other option at the four. But I, I think, Give us a try. I, I mean, and I, I don't think Doc will for various reasons, but I, I think this is something that, you know, just talking about it now, it seems like people are sort of cottoning to it. And I, I think it is going to be a thing that uh, becomes a talking point for this team in the next couple months. Um, I wanted to touch on quickly, one of you brought it up. Uh, Matisse Thibault is pretty, like, firmly out of the rotation. Um, he did get some second half burn against the Knicks, which seemed like Doc Rivers just not wanting to completely bury him. Um, it, I mean, I feel like they must just feel like he can't shoot whatsoever. Like, I feel like they don't trust him to do anything on offense and his defense, his like focus on defense wanes enough that they don't trust him with real minutes. Uh, Mike Scott shoots absolutely every time he gets near the ball. He does not care. I think it's really fun. Um, but he just sort of runs around out there. He's not giving you much defensively and he, is probably going to end up shooting threes at like a 35% clip anyway. Uh, I would rather Matisse have those minutes, but think uh, the sort of larger problem is that the team doesn't trust Matisse right now. Um, is that your read on it as well? And uh, what would you do in terms of uh, Matisse at this point? Hey, you. Oh, well, um, first off, I'm happy that the old hair is back. I think that's like a good sign for his mojo. Totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that that kind of leads to better things on the horizon for Matisse. I, I don't know exactly what's going on there. It's been weird since the preseason. I don't know if it's a disconnect between him and Doc. I don't know if it's uh, just, you know, he kind of hit the rookie wall at the end of last year and he sort of washed out in the playoffs. And maybe he's kind of feeling that a little bit still. Uh, I think that the team's identity makes the most sense with Matisse as a contributor. I think this is a team that wins by blitzing on defense and getting out and running and shooting threes. And I, I don't think his, I don't see him shooting threes and think, okay, that guy's never going to be able to shoot 34, 35%. Like he's, he looks competent enough that if you give him enough reps, I think he should be able to turn into like a, I don't know, like a Bruce Bowen type threat from the corner or whatever. Like, I, mm. I don't think he's, he doesn't seem unplayable in that regard to me on offense. It's going to be a struggle getting him there, but I think it's worth the investment because he was doing things as a rookie that we've literally never seen before. Like, uh, like smart people talking about, okay, we've never seen a defensive prospect be this good, this young. And to, for him to sort of not even be in the mix this year, it's a little bit perplexing to me because his upside just on that alone would seem so much higher than a bunch of the other dudes in our rotation. And I mean, it's a tricky thing being a win now team and trying to balance you know, catering to a player like that. But I mean, like I keep going back to the game that they had against Brooklyn on MLK day last year, uh, where it was just Simmons and Matisse just wrecking havoc every half court possession against that Nets team. They won the game, basically just the two of them right. just suffocating the, 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 the Nets and, I, I think that's how this team succeeds in the playoffs is by kind of playing that, that sort of all out trapping defense and just kind of sucking the life out of other teams. And, and Tease is one of the guys that fits that identity so well. Yeah. Like you said, there are nights where, you know, Matisse is going to make a big difference. If he's hits a few threes and makes, you know, a, a, some big plays on defense, then you know, his minutes can be really valuable. So even if he's mostly bad, I mean, it's the 10th man who cares. Mike Scott's always bad. Like even if Mike Scott's hitting his threes, he's still bad. Like he's going to give up more points because he just messed up on defense than he's going to make in his threes unless you give him like two minutes and he's guarding nobody. And 
Like he's just he's he gives you nothing. Even Matisse is a better ball handler, even, and he's not a good ball handler. Like you're not getting anything from Mike Scott. Yeah, tonight was like a best case scenario for Mike Scott, and it was still probably a net negative, uh, just in terms of like all the turnovers and and yeah, the the, the lapses on defense. But I mean, the, I, like I, I think of him like, do, do you remember like uh, Daniel Marshall when he was on the Sixers like in the late aughts? That that might, it might be a. Uh, Maybe not the I remember, point, I remember but... him in NBA Live, but I was like, okay. Fine. <laughs> well, he, he was just this, uh, you know, he he, uh, he had been like a college star in the '90s. He he bounced around as a as a as a vet uh, in the NBA, and then he kind of fit this end of the bench profile for the uh, the Mo Cheeks era Sixers, where like once every twenty games they they'd haul him out for the fourth quarter, and uh, like, like two or three times in the course of a season, he'd hit like five or six threes and kind of save them in the in, in the fourth. Uh, if you just need a guy to, to like kind of as a Hail Mary option, I think that's Mike Scott. But yeah, I, I don't see the winning version of this team at this point having Mike Scott play in a, like a large role. I don't, I don't think that's, that's too realistic. Yeah. I wonder if some of it is that like, you know, he's played for doc before he played a lot of games yeah. with doc. Like he was in that rotation a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not even a huge Matisse guy. Like I think Matisse might end up being like a solid player, but, but he's not like, you know, someone that I'm like, you know, it's like, oh, this guy has to crack the playoff rotation. Like, I need my Matisse fix. But <laughs> if it, if the other option is Mike Scott, and and like you said, Matisse, you could try to develop and try to get his offense a little bit further along. It seems kind of like, why not? Like, bad Matisse versus good Mike Scott. I don't know. It's, it's not that much of a difference. Matisse is at least making some defensive plays to make up for whatever shots Mike Scott's making. Yeah, but I agree with what you guys both said. Like, I liked when the AD was like, oh, he'll just be that guy that you bring at the end. Like, he, we can just, like, pull Mike Scott as, like, our new Corey Brewer. Remember those Corey Brewer minutes when he was on the team for a while and he would just, like, come in and, like, act, like, just to take crazy shots and, like, score 10 points and he was great for, like, a two-minute run. Like, that's all I need from Mike Scott, but I'd rather have Matisse in there with like some solid defense and like you said like develop him he's 22 years old like Mike Scott's on the back half of his NBA career for sure so just give Matisse some minutes and all right moving on to the next thing provided we're recording uh AU it it seems that not a podcast goes by without somebody having to mention the persistent James Harden either rumors or not rumors uh recently for the rights to Ricky Sanchez you wrote uh an article about how and correct me if I'm wrong or, or being overly reductive with this, but that uh, you would have essentially do it, you know, when push comes to shove, but you'd like to wait. Um, has anything you've seen over these last three games or last three sort of hardened parties uh, changed any, any part of that for you or, uh, or do you maintain that mindset? I'd say, I mean, I still maintain that mindset. I, I guess I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little disappointed that the team doesn't look a little bit smoother because I, 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 I think we, we'd sort of hoped that this would be more of the, uh, you know, the 2017-18 type uh, regular season where, or, you know, the, the second half of that season where, okay, you, you have Ben and Joel and you have shooters and you kind of just sort of run through the regular season. I mean, you, you struggle maybe against the contending type teams, but you sort of win the easy games and you look better than you are in the regular season. And then you maybe struggle in the playoffs. I think that was, that was sort of the hope, which is still not even that hopeful, but it, it was sort of the more realistic hope that we have for this, this regular season. And had that been the case, then we have maybe like a little bit of a stronger position of leverage when it comes to whether or not we deal for James Harden, because Daryl can kind of present the argument. Okay. No, I, what we have is good right now. I kind of want to ride with it and see where we are. Uh, rather than like, oh no, we we there's like a very clear hole in this team that someone like James Harden, and there aren't that many people like James Harden, but that James Harden could come in and fill immediately and sort of very clearly elevate this team from a good team to a great team. Uh, 
So I, I'd hope that by holding out, we could we could sort of strengthen our position that way, especially as things continue to crumble in Houston as they seem to be doing. Uh, so I, I still think it's worth holding out just because you know the, the, the situation there is so toxic and volatile at the moment. Uh, I mean, obviously Harden looked great the other night, but they still lost, and then you know, half the team is out with the you know con contract tracing stuff, contact tracing, contact tracing stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it, it's it's a situation where you know Daryl Morey is sort of still in a position of, of of strength in terms of having the best prospect and having the one, both being the one team that Harden wants to come to and having the one sort of player that you can sort of immediately anchor a rebuild around. Nobody else has those two things kind of in simpatico like that. So I, I do want them to, to, to hold out for this sort of the best package that they can possibly get in terms of like not giving up three first rounders and shake and Matisse and, and basically everything else that we have is desirable. I think we, I think eventually the trade probably gets done if he's still on the table and if some other team doesn't come in and, and, and swoop in first with a, with a much better offer, I think Simmons for Harden will still basically, the, the core of that is basically going to be there as long as Simmons and Harden are on their respective teams and that, that neither of them are going to be any less valuable in between now and the trade deadline. So you hope that uh, this, the Sixers hold out and they're able to kind of present the picture of, of, of not needing Harden quite as much as the Rockets need to get rid of Harden and they can maybe get away with trading him with one or two other pieces instead of like literally everything we have. And so I, I, that's, yeah. that's the one I'm hoping for at least. Yeah. Um, Emily, you have been the most reluctant certainly of this podcast to make the Harden trade. Uh, it seems sources are telling me that you're, you're inching a bit closer <laughs> toward some level of affection for James Harden. I'd love to hear where you stand today. I wouldn't say level of affection for James Harden. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed at the end of the game last night when he passed the ball to Rocco in the final seconds and then stomped his feet pandering. like it was someone else's fault. Yep, he was like, what? I'm like, that, that was you. <laughs> you are not a great team player. Um, minus your 17 assists. But I am now <laughs> willing to offer Tobias Harris Matisse Seibel and Mike Scott for James Harden. That is my current best offer. So very generous. Yes. I love it. Um, uh, Dan, I mean, you're, you, you've been the most sort of dogmatic of us uh, about wanting Harden. Dan is going to trade Joel for James Harden. He I know like... Joel is untouchable because I'm in love with him, but <laughs> yeah. everyone else is on the table. Um, I actually, we, I had like kind of a similar discussion with AU on Twitter the other day. And like, I think we, we mostly, we mostly agree. I think, you know, the only thing different is our, is our perspective of maybe like where we think trade talks are currently at. Um, like we agree on what's probably a fair package, which is like, you know, Ben and like a pick or two or Ben and a young, uh, and a pick and a young player or something like that. Um, and I, I think, uh, AU correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, that's what you're saying. Like, let's hold out to get that, you know, let's hold out so that the trade is something like that. Um, Whereas like, I'm, I'm not so sure it's not already close to that, but I could, I could be wrong. It would make more sense if I was, if I was wrong about that, but just kind of like, I guess, you know, reading into things, I feel like that they could get that deal now. Um, the one thing that scares me about, about waiting is that, um, you know, as, as Harden plays, which it seems like he's going to do, he's not like he wants to sit out. Um, it, it's going to be so obvious that he's so like, I think, I feel like, you know, with him not playing, with the offseason, it's been really easy for Maury, to, uh, assuming, you know, as, you know, it's kind of fun to think that Maury's leaking this stuff. Um, I've, you know, obviously I have no idea if he is, but, like, it's fun to think, that, like, Maury's like, oh, this guy's always out partying, this guy does this, he, you know, he misses, you know, 
he misses practice days and he's late to film sessions and, you know, he's pissing people off and everyone can get really focused on that. But it's really hard to care about that stuff when he's having 44 and 17 nights um, with his whole team out and almost beating a pretty solid Portland team all by himself. Like, it's really hard to care about the other stuff, which is why I never really cared about the other stuff. Um, and I, as he plays and as you have games like this where, you know, Joel doesn't play and it's pretty clear Ben cannot be the best player on a winning team. He can't probably, you know, he's borderline a second best player on a championship team. They would have to have like a LeBron James type. Like, like if you look at, like we went through this, the other podcast, like, the second best players on championship teams in the last 20 years, most of them are better than Ben Simmons. And uh, he's certainly not, you know, the, the Simmons and, and four shooters lineups are to me kind of a myth. Like that's not a really successful way to build a team. And we're going to see that we're going to see the, the contrast and that like Harden is really incredible. Like argue like definitely top five, arguably top three player in basketball right now. And Ben Simmons is like 20 ish, which is an enormous difference. Like it's not the difference between, you know, 20 and 37, which is another like, you know, 17 player jump, like 20 to three is a huge, huge, huge difference. And you're talking like a guy who can win you a championship if he plays, you know, to his peak in the playoffs versus, you know, a guy who is, who is a contributing piece, but you know, he's never going to be the reason you end up winning. And that's going to become so obvious. This is it's less it's less plausible than I hoped it would be that we we could get to that level sort of without James Harden. I had sort of hoped that we can at least like even as we sort of knew that in the playoffs it was kind of fool's gold. That I I sort of hoped that we could present the case of being like no like like look at how much fun this team is having. Look at how like easy everything is. I hope we basically had like the beginning of the like the first two nets the first two games that the Brooklyn Nets had although they they lost tonight too. Everybody lost tonight. What happened? Everyone like, lost. Yeah. It was so strange. I I don't know what happened there, but uh. Yeah, like, so let me ask you this. Who is the team that you're most worried about swooping in and picking him up at this point? Like if the Sixers don't get him, who's like the worst case scenario for you? Or, or but both who's the worst case scenario and who do you think is the most realistic of coming in and being like, okay, here's the package. We're taking him like right now. Right, yeah. So like that's the other thing, right? Like obviously, you know, if the if the player's value drift apart, but also if someone else, like you said, comes in. Um, I know, you know, you mentioned that the, the Raptors, if they got him, would be scary. I think they could put together a real package, although they're not one of his like eight teams that he's listed <laughs> at this point. Um, which is, like, that list gets it expands by two every week. Like I, I'm sure, like yeah. by this time in January, like everybody except for like the Knicks and the I don't know the the, the Kings will be on there. Yeah, it's it's like he's just adding all these teams. For some reason, it hasn't been the Raptors yet. I think the the worst case scenario to me is the Celtics because I think mm. a, a Tatum Harden team can legitimately win um and like that like that's a really damn good team i'm not a huge dalen brown guy um and i think you put those two guys on the same team and that team can win a championship and the Celtics winning a championship really sucks um or if the heat can get him without giving jimmy although i i would really hate to give bam i like bam a lot but it's james harden um if the heat if the heat somehow get him that would really suck too like Either of those teams winning the East from him is probably worst case scenario. Um, I still feel like, you know, he has Harden himself probably has some leverage just because of, you know, the way things are in the league these days with star players and, and with their agents and, you know, you, you, you want to not piss off great players. And so you can't ignore Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn might be a real possibility. Um, but 
I mean, they lost tonight, like you said. If, if they start to struggle, maybe, you know, Kyrie gets on the table and that could, you know, Kyrie in a lot of picks does something like that. Um, if, they, if they're willing to move him, they should be, but I understand why they're not from like a you know, team culture perspective with, you know, how him and, and Durant came together. I, I'm still not sure who beats the Sixers, though. Like, I, I, the only way that I think this, the Sixers get beat out is if they're too stubborn to offer, offer Simmons. Um, I agree. Yeah. So, so I, I just, I don't, I, that's the thing. Like if Simmons really is on the table, I'm not so worried about the swooping in, but if, if Maury is to be taken at his word, which no one's ever really to be, you know, taken fully at their word, but definitely not that guy. No, definitely not. But if he is the Sixers aren't getting him. Right. So like, um, I hope that, that that's, you know, not true. I don't think it is. So we'll have to see. It's funny. Like, sorry. No, go. It's funny, like when we talk about these other teams that are sort of in the mix for them and like the players that they will or won't offer for Harden, when you talk about like the Celtics and Jalen Brown or like the, the Heat and Tyler Hero or even even the Nets and Kyrie Irving, like I'm like, of course you would offer them for Harden. Why wouldn't you offer them for Harden? And like, I, I don't know if, if like, our hesitance with Simmons, you know, those of us who are hesitant, like, is that because Simmons is actually better or is it just because everybody is sort of hesitant when it comes to trading their own guys? I, I, I don't know, but it might be sort of illustrative of the idea that maybe it's just an emotional thing and maybe we should probably, you know, come to terms with that. This is, this is what you do when you want to go from being a good team to a great team. Yeah. I yeah. think it's probably both most likely is that it's like, you know, fan bases overvalue their own guys and also Simmons better. Simmons is better than this <laughs> other guy. Sure. Um, when we talked a few weeks ago on here, I remember saying that like the one small thing in my head about trading Ben for Harden is like Ben's 24. And if there is, an upcoming Tatum-like leap this season, I probably wouldn't do it. Like, if Ben is, like, if they're seeing him in practice and they're seeing him, whatever, and they're like, this guy is ready to move to be, like, a fringe top 10 guy like Tatum did, then it feels like guy starting his five-year deal who's going to take a giant improvement, then you probably don't do it, especially given the, the sort of shittiness that has shrouded James Harden at this point. Now that I feel like, if that leap was there, we would have seen a trace of it at this point. I'm, I'm much more like they sort of can't. The thing that matters to me more than anything is Embiid holding a championship trophy. Like that's the coolest thing in the world. So if, if that is out there, I don't think it's with this current team. And I don't really know how you get that guy who's like a perimeter creator and an elite perimeter guy without trading Ben because because the Sixers have put themselves in jail with their other construction now um, all that being said Ben's really good I mean I think people can think and I saw this when I was uh using the the site's handle tonight like people think if you say you should trade Ben for Harden you're saying Ben sucks but like that's not what I'm saying I'm saying Ben's great and I would trade him for hardly anyone in the league but one of those players is Harden um so anyway, I, 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 you know, I, I would definitely do it because I just think you sort of have to. And I think that the stagnation offensively at this point with Ben has. And, and meanwhile, I think the Sixers will be good. I think they could be the three seed. I think that they just have this very hard ceiling in the playoffs if they don't have a different initiator. Enough about that. AU, along with um, being a uh, writer about the Sixers for the rights of Ricky Sanchez, you're also a rather decorated writer about music and pop culture. So uh, to that end, we have some questions. I hope you will indulge us. Stan, you can take it away. All right, Ayo, I told you I was gonna ask you this. Daryl Morey 
did a Q&A on Instagram <laughs> the other day, and he was asked, what artist do you listen to when you make trades? And he said Kesha, which is great because I love Kesha. And now I feel like me and Daryl are best buds. And I want to get your definitive, as our music expert, your definitive rankings of the, the main five Kesha albums, not counting the remix album. So are, are there are there? I thought there were four, not counting the remix. So there's Animal. Are we counting Cannibal as 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 a separate? I was album? counting Cannibal as another. Okay. One, but we can group them if you want. However yeah, you want I sort of, I sort of group Animal and Cannibal. And I say yeah, I did. Me, I, did me, I, I did mean to listen to the High Road again before coming on here to talk about this more educatedly. But I'm, I'm afraid it's still just the one listen. That that's we, not, we that's don't prep. <laughs> That one's at the bottom for me, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, I wasn't feeling that one as much. Uh, Warrior, the, the second album, had a couple good singles and a couple good deep cuts, but on the whole, it was kind of iffy. And it was sort of when, when she was on the alley, you know, she, she, had the, she had a falling out with Dr. Luke, obviously, that got really ugly. And he, he, there were sort of some, some forced creative compromises on that album that sort of made it uh, you know, not what it could have been. Uh, it's really hard to choose between Animal slash Cannibal and Rainbow between two and one because they're, they're such obviously like diametrically different albums. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I I certainly I certainly have this nostalgic attachment to Animal and Cannibal, but I'd say that's probably still a little bit below Warrior, which is just one of the best pop albums of the last decade, or at least one of the one of the best uh, like in, in terms of like a, like a, a career reinvention and a personal statement. Uh, I, I thought it was just an incredible triumph and uh, one of my favorite albums of that year, and probably yeah one of the, one of the best pop albums of that decade. So I'll say two animal slash cannibal uh shout out to the sleazy remix shout out to the, the video for blow which is still one of the best videos of the 2010s and then number one uh we'll go with rainbow as a as a non-music expert but a casher lover i like your <laughs> rankings oh, i appreciate that are, are they similar to yours or do you do you have a do you have any of them flipped around yeah i i actually like kind of recently because you know i've been trying to listen to more music because there's nothing else to do during the the pandemic and i i got i was always like an animal slash cannibal and warrior guy because like you said like I'm you know kind of same boat as you I'm nostalgic for you know the old Kesha and um I really I really like those but um the 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 newest album um has grown on me and I think that getting into Rainbow like was really easy and I would probably put it at the top like I I great album love it yeah I, I'll I'll have to revisit this I'm oh, sorry no, I just said I'll, I'll have to revisit uh, High Road once we get off this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of in a, a 2020 uh, year-end crunch at the moment, kind of cramming those those last <laughs> albums in before coming out the personal list. So I'll try to give that one its fair shake first. Sorry, Emily, what were you saying? Oh, I was just asking how old Dan was when those early Kesha albums came out. In 2010, <laughs> I what's what year is it? 2020. All right, so 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I was 11. <laughs> <laughs> Like those are like my college albums. <laughs> yeah, I'm young. Spent many oh, a right. night in a frat basement dancing Kesha. That's for sure. Yeah, that, those were like the bar mitzvah songs for me. But oh, wow, that, that's a great that's a great era to come of bar mitzvah age during. I'm jealous of you for that. Yes. That's fantastic. Yes, those I remember like a lot of Kesha. Uh, Super Bass by Nicki Minaj was a popular, uh, you know, ton of, L ton of LMFAO, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, a lot of LMFAO, for sure. Yeah. Those guys um, did some bar mitzvahs. I remember that. Those guys were <laughs> really on the circuit. Yeah, they were available for sure. Yeah, very yeah, easily. Sure. <laughs> so I also wanted to ask you, while we're sticking to music, 
we just had Christmas. I want to know your top Christmas songs. And if you agree with oh, me that Mistletoe by <laughs> Justin Bieber is underappreciated as a Christmas song. Okay, uh, Mistletoe by Justin Bieber, I'll take that first. Uh, yes, it's a it's a pretty good song. I, I, I prefer a couple other cuts off that album. I like uh, The Only Thing I Ever Get for Christmas. And I really like his uh, remake of Little Drummer Boy with Buster Rhymes, which is just psychotic and wonderful. Uh, <laughs> definitely recommend it for anyone who's not familiar with that one. Uh, favorite Christmas songs, uh, Last Christmas by Wham, certainly. Uh, 2,000 Miles by The Pretenders is, is a little bit of a, the deeper one. Uh, All Over for Christmas to You is, is one of the all-time greats. Uh, and uh, Nat King Cole's uh, The Christmas Song, Chestnuts Roasted on Open Fire. Uh, that, that's uh, that's the best, I like the, uh, the kind of old, you know, the, the actual classic Christmas songs, I think. Uh, and I feel like I should give one sort of newer one. I think like of the last decade, uh, Ariana Grande's Santa Tell Me has like the best chance of kind of entering that pantheon in the, in the decades to come. It takes songs like 25 years just to become like Christmas standards to any degree. Like it's the slowest moving canon that exists in popular music. And like songs from 60 years ago are still like the most popular Christmas songs. Like when, once you're in, you're in forever, but it takes a long time. And I, I think Ariana has a chance of getting there. So you recently wrote um, a piece about like TikTok becoming like a kind of our new MTV. And I thought it was really interesting. And I recently was listening to the radio and it was like yesterday. And they were saying that the artist that dropped that song, I don't remember, but they had released it on TikTok on December 1st. They were just like a TikTok person. They put it on and now 26 days later, it's on the radio. Like how does that happen that quickly? Like, are we, have we taken like the middleman and agents and things out of music? Like, I don't know how it works. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're trying to put themselves back in it, which is a little bit uh, scary sometimes, but it, it, it is the thing that I think is cool about TikTok is that it, it made it so that like the fans are basically choosing the hits again. Like it's, it's like radio moves so slowly and like, there's only like 10 songs that, that get played at any given point in time, like on top 40 and heavy rotation. And the, the, the established artists are always gonna have a huge leg up on the, on the up and comers. But on TikTok, like a song that pops off could be from anyone. It could, it could be like of any genre and it could be from any time period. Like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams is 43 years old. And that was one of the biggest hits of this year because it got, uh, got huge on TikTok again, which is so cool to see. Uh, and like artists are trying to figure out a way to like de-randomize it to like actually like promote a song on TikTok and make it a thing on their own right and some of them are getting pretty good at it actually like like the country world is getting surprisingly good at like they'll tease a song on TikTok and they'll be like okay like wait like this like the whole the whole thing is coming out like a month from now and they'll just kind of build up anticipation so that when it does come out like it's already basically a halfway to being a hit even though no one's actually heard the whole thing yet uh and you'll probably see more of that in the future but uh, I, I think for now, at least, like TikTok is the sort of thing that the industry desperately needed because, like, again, radio is so slow. The streaming world, like Spotify and Apple Music, they're dominated by the same five to seven artists. Like, uh, it was like just all, like all year was just Little Baby and Pop Smoke. And then when Post Malone releases an album or Drake releases an album, uh, those will be the most popular songs for the entire year, basically. Uh, and you needed like a, a dose of randomness. You needed some like one hit wonders again. And that's sort of what we have with TikTok. That's a pretty cool and fun thing, I think. I was listening to country radio and that happened so oh, it's nice. like interesting and I was then I was looking it up and like Priscilla Block like her song started on TikTok and sure, that yeah. was like a super popular on like the Sirius XM highway station that I like so um it's just interesting to see that they're kind of early adopters in that yeah. and 
Have you heard the song Dick Down in Dallas yet? Does that mean anything to you? Yes. It's come up okay. on my TikTok. Yeah, like that's a great <laughs> example of it. Like that it's it's basically like a novelty country song uh, with a hilariously profane chorus. Uh I, I like it. It's a, it's it's a little obviously misogynistic and a little, a, a little kind of not okay in certain regards, especially when you see like the frat boys in the backwards hats singing along to it. But uh like it's it's so cool that this song that country radio would never touch with like any length of pull and that like would never be like uh, and like, the country establishment of Nashville or whatever would never like let it through their gatekeeping. Uh, but because people thought it was funny on TikTok, it's now like a ready-made hit. And that's a pretty, yeah. like it, it's, it's cool that like popular music can be a little bit random again and a little bit like out of the hands of the folks pressing the buttons. Yeah, and I guess the original yeah, of that's Old Town Road. Sorry, Dan. Sure, like, yeah. That was, was the original like break into country music and they were like, I guess this is a country song and <clears throat> we're gonna put it on our radio. Yeah, I mean that was that was when TikTok first came on my radar. I'm sure people younger than me knew about it like well before that. But like I learned about Old Town Road and TikTok basically at the same time. And yeah, like that that song basically became the like the biggest hit in Hot 100 history based off of off of TikTok and the kind of the momentum that got started there. And like who knows if we would have known that song otherwise. And it's a great song. It was a great story. It's it's it's, it's like pop music is a better place for that song being in it. And 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 talk, that's that's because of TikTok. Yeah, you put you put it like so well because I I guess I I'd never like thought about it in that way but I definitely was like kind of bored with music like I don't really love Drake that much I I don't want to hear <laughs> You're him to your generation Dan come on <laughs> I'm sorry I don't like he's you know he's fine he has some he has some fun songs he has a uh, what was it what's this song that's popular on TikTok now it's pretty it's I kind of like that one probably because it was on TikTok um oh boy uh I, oh, I, laugh, I, now, I, laugh now cry laugh later, cry later. Okay, right, yeah, that was that... kind of fun but um, for the for, like for the yeah, I was definitely kind of bored, and I, I think that you know we I actually was talking to you about this the other day, but like I've definitely expanded my horizons and listened to like all kinds of music I would have never listened to like PP cocaine, love love PP cocaine, <laughs> right? Like she's, all this weird stuff that like I really like, and like it's like it's not boring anymore. Like it's fun again. Like I think you put it like really well to describe just like as me like a casual music listener. Like I'm I'm so much more interested in music now because of it. Well, thanks, man, and that that's super cool for me to hear. Like, I I love that like sh like shit that would never make it on like tr through traditional channels to like to, to like mass consumption like this is getting a look through TikTok. Like, like one of the, one of the more interesting like alternative artists the last couple of years is uh, you know you know Claro is, is she made your radio through through TikTok? Not yet, no. All right, she, like an indie singer songwriter. She, she had one of the best albums of uh, of twenty nineteen. Uh, and she, she's like not the sort of person that would ever have like a crossover hit, or at least that I, I wouldn't have thought would ever have a crossover hit, but she had a song called Bags that got really big on TikTok and that hit the Hot 100 this year. And it, it's just changing the ceiling for, for artists like that and just giving them a bigger reach. And I like, I, like, I'm sure there's a lot of purists that kind of sneer at that and like think that like a, you know, a, a 15 second video is like no way to discover new music or whatever, but the music's getting out there and people aren't just like listening to it on TikTok, they're listening to it on TikTok and then they're going and streaming the whole song on Spotify and Apple Music and all that. Yeah, and that's they're, what finding I do. These, they're finding these new artists. I think that's, that's fucking dope, man. I, 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 I'm all for that. Uh, AU, we're going to take a hard left turn here. I'm not a cool <laughs> guy. I don't know anything cool, but I want to give you three of my favorite artists and I want to hear you either praise me or deride me. Um, three of them, Tom I mean, yeah. Waits, Brian Fallon, and Nathaniel Rateliff. Do you have any assorted thoughts on them? Okay, uh, I am not a Tom Waits guy. I, I, I respect his one for one. I respect his place. I respect his place in the culture. Uh, I, I, I'm not like enough of like a, a cigarette smoker or like a night owl to really get into that Tom Waits mindset. I don't think. I, I don't know. Sure. Uh, Rain Dogs is cool. He has some good songs here and there that I like. Uh, 
I, I'm not trying to like hate on Tom Waits. Uh, you know, do you Tom Waits? This is not for me. Uh, Brian Fallon. I, I don't go super deep on him. I think Gaslight Anthem have a couple like dope radio rock songs. I, I like the 59 sound. That's cool. Uh, I, I know like people get, that are really into him like are like he's their guy. I guess I guess you're one of them. Uh, that's for not sure. necessarily me, but uh, people that like ape Bruce Springsteen usually end up writing good songs because Bruce Springsteen wrote good songs. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm cool on that. Uh, who's the third guy? Nathaniel Rateliff and Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. Don't know an, a ton about Nathaniel Rateliff to be honest. I, I know uh, Sob. That's a great song. Great great chorus, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard, I mean, I wish I could remember the name of it. I, I, there was a radio broadcast, like a public radio broadcast I was listening to a weekend ago and they played, uh, it, was, it was a tribute actually to it, like a DJ who had just passed away um, from the station and like, like one of her final picks, like, like she, she had, she'd gotten to, to program her final show knowing that she was going to die soon, which was actually a pretty wow. heavy thing to listen to on a Friday night. But uh, one of the final songs that she picked was a Nathaniel Rayliff song. I wish I could remember the name of it because it actually, I actually found it really powerful. Cool. Uh, so I guess there's untold uh, depths to Nathaniel Rateliff experience that I just don't know about yet. But uh, um, yeah, so maybe we get off the call, recommend me a couple songs to listen to. I'll, I'll, I'll do you some got it. Well, I, can't, I got what I came for. Emily, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I guess from Steve's, it sounds like good music. We'll take another hard laugh into the music I like. <laughs> and I'll give you three artists that are my favorite. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. So we have Dan and Shay, Jonas Brothers, and Taylor Swift. Okay. Uh, Dan and Shay, not a real, not a huge fan. Uh, they, they, again, some songs better than others. Uh, their song with Justin Bieber is like very effective. I mean, I'm not gonna like deny that that's a, a powerful song. Uh, I should probably go to bed's grown on me, I guess, over the course of the year. Uh, they do some cool things with the harmonies and the production on that song. Uh, I'm not like huge for the boyfriend country genre in general, where the, these dudes just presenting themselves as like the, the perfect romantic partners and, uh, kind of you know they, they, i'd like to hear like a, a couple different looks from them maybe where they're they they go with the, the less sappy route on a couple singles they have like some good you know party songs or drinking songs i'd be interested to hear what those are uh but they're very they're very talented and obviously they're very successful uh i'm not like a hater on them or anything but they're, they're not really for me uh who's the second one jonas brothers jonas brothers yeah, I gotta love the Jonas Brothers. I mean, like they were, they were underrated, I think, like as a band. Like, uh, I mean, obviously they didn't play everything on their records, but like they were a good pop punk band back in the day. Like they, they kind of got put in the boy band, uh, like milieu or whatever, but they actually have some songs that kind of rip. Like I, I go back to, to those early albums occasionally when, like, when writing about the newer stuff. And like, I'm always surprised by like, they actually, they actually kind of rocked like, to, to a pretty considerable amount. And the SOS is a great single. Burn It Up is a great single. Paranoid, uh, I think, is actually aged really well. Uh, and the ent- the entire album, God, I cannot remember the name of it now. Uh, the one before Lines, Vines, and Trying Times. Uh, the one with the, um, I can't remember. The, 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 a little bit had, longer. Yeah, a little bit longer. I think. Yeah, that that's a really good album. And Happiness Begins, the one they released uh, last year. I mean, that was better than it had any right to be. Like uh, Sucker, uh, Only Human. Those are great singles. The entire album is actually pretty dope all the way through. It's just there's like a couple ballads too many at the end maybe but like in terms of like a comeback effort by a boy band now grown like who would have thought that album would be so good like it, way better than it had any right to be deserved all the success it had uh thumbs up to the Jonas Brothers Taylor Swift uh I, I got nothing but nice things to say about I mean Taylor Swift like e- even when she does songs that I hate I still kind of love her for them like I I I I, 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 do, I her failures are more interesting to me than like most artists successes uh and I think in terms of like artists who have written the most great songs the last 15 years. She's, if she's not number one, she's in the top five. Uh, I think both Folklore and Evermore are pretty great. 
I wasn't a huge lover fan, uh, but I did love Reputation, which I thought kind of got a bad rap. Uh, I'm a Speak Now person in general. Uh, that's my favorite Taylor Swift album. I think that's one of the best albums of the last uh, 10, 15 years, whatever. Uh, but yeah, Taylor Swift, obviously, uh, very, very pro. Love it. Two out of three, not bad. <laughs> well done. Um, yeah, just in case yeah. we didn't lose every single listener when I brought up Tom Waits, oh. we are going to... I, I hope you guys feel like you got your money's worth there. Like, I, 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 that was I, great. I don't know if, uh, all right. It was rapid oh, fire. Yeah. Um, so we here at the podcast are, uh, the podcast is a friend of the podcast. I can edit some of this. Uh, <laughs> Zach Clark, Zach Clark, AU, I don't know if you watch The Bachelorette, but a gentleman named Zach Clark just, uh, Emily, I'm not supposed to say won The Bachelorette. No. He, he won. He won the heart of Tasha. You can say that. Thank you. He won the heart okay. of Tasha. Uh, this was my first season, myself and my girlfriend's first season, really watching it in earnest because Dan and Emily loved the show. Could not have ended in a better place. I just, I, I thought it was lovely. Uh, Zach is a guy from Philadelphia who uh, were in negotiations to get him on this podcast. Keith Pompey seems like a bit of a more remote goal, but we'll see. <laughs> um, but uh, we just want to say congratulations to Zach. Uh, he seems just like such a solid guy and uh, looking forward to talking to him whenever that is. Uh, Emily or Dan, do you have any other things to say about the ending of the Bachelorette season? I just love that now that it's over. Well, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't follow Zach before this. I follow Zach now and he's you know been tweeting about you know the Eagles and the Sixers, which is awesome. But Tasha tweeted about the Eagles today. She's an Eagles fan now. I guess she couldn't uh, do that before it was over because then it'd be obvious that Zach won. But right. I love it. I, I, I actually, you know, I said this to uh, Emily the other day because, you know, Emily is like, you know, Emily's the Bachelor franchise expert. Like, she, I haven't watched nearly as much as Emily has. But in the seasons I've watched, I've always ended up hating the league. Like, Bachelor, Bachelor, either way, never liked him. Tasha's the first one I actually liked. Um, so it's really nice to see that she's an Eagles fan now. That seems like a really good, like, convergence of my interests so love it yeah happy for them happy to have them as one of us and we welcome them with open arms always so. yeah um what a bummer that she has to become a philly sports fan i mean that is <laughs> really got the short end of the stick <laughs> really um so uh the last thing last week we predicted uh the wins and losses for this for the coming week emily i think you were keeping tabs on these how did we fare dan and i um, so Dan is three and out in calling this. He thought that they would just blow a game to a bad team and he picked Cleveland. So he picked the right one. Wow. Um, me, me and you are two and one. We both, we thought they would go three and oh this week. So great. All right. So as for this coming week, uh, the Sixers play at home against Toronto, then they play at Orlando and then they play at home versus Charlotte. With those three games, AU, I'd like to start with you. What is your prediction? And Emily will add you to the doc, I, I hope. Um, what is your prediction for this week <laughs> in Sixers in terms of wins and losses? Uh, loss against Toronto, loss against Orlando, win against uh, – who was the third game? Third Charlotte. Game again? Charlotte, yeah. Well, it'll, it'll be you know one point on a buzzer beater, but we'll beat them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Dan? I was actually going to say the same as AU. I was going to say lose the first two, beat Charlotte. Emily? also we'll beat Toronto, lose to Orlando, beat Charlotte, just to be different, but I will be really be shocked if we beat Toronto. Um, I am with Emily. There's, I mean, there's just absolutely no way they beat Orlando. I, I no. don't want anybody <laughs>
score like 45 points. Truly, don't get mad about it. It's going to happen. Just forget about it. It's not like tonight where they like really should have won that game just because of the sheer talent. They can't beat Orlando. They'll never beat Orlando. Um, So, yeah. Definitely not in Orlando. Certainly not. No. You go in to see those fans? No way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Listen, uh, AU, I just want to thank you so much for joining us. It's late at night and you stayed up with us. Uh, It was great to talk to you. And, uh, you're a wonderful part of our online community here, and uh, and we're so happy to talk to you. Yeah, thank you nice so much for saying it. And, Twitter. Uh, I, I appreciate that. And, and, and look, uh, like I, mean, I have meant to say, like uh, you know, I, I grew up, uh, not grew up, but like, I, I came of, of of blogging age, uh, kind of in the golden age of Liberty Ballers, with you know where you know Mike was was in charge, and there was Derek Bodner and Rich Hoffman and, and Jake Fisher and all, all these people that went on to do great and wondrous things. Um, and shout out to my personal hero, uh, Dave Reuter, uh, where's Ben Rivera. Uh, and like it seems like the site had kind of lost its way for a little bit, but like I feel like it's back in good hands now with, with, with you guys and with the, the Kevins and with uh, Tom West and, and Sixers Adam before we pushed him away from y'all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, I, it means a lot to me to see that the legacy is kind of going on because of the Liberty Ballers, I think, along with the Ricky, is like the, the, a pillar in the Sixers Twitter community. So uh, I think it's, it's a better place to be when, 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 when the site is strong and the site is definitely strong right now. So kudos to all of y'all for me. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, lastly, happy birthday, Emily. Uh, we Thank are you. 32 minutes away. We love you. I hope you have a great birthday. Um, and yeah, we will talk to you all next week. And um, AU, thank you again. Absolutely. Anytime. See ya. See you guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. I love